0: Well, welcome to church this morning, good to see you, a happy new year to you, uh, it's good to, good to be together here in 20, 2013. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans 8, which if hard pressed is probably my favorite chapter in the Bible. It's kind of hard because it's like 31 flavors, it's hard to pick one, but uh, there's just so much in this one chapter that it, it probably is my favorite uh, chapter in the Bible. While you're turning there, just a couple of quick announcements. Of all the things in, in the bulletin this week, the one I want to draw most attention to is this idea that on Wednesday, we're starting this compelled training. And several of our community groups are actually going to shut down for the next six weeks, men's group included, so that we can have extra time to devote toward this. And what it is really is it's just an opportunity to come together with about four or five other churches and just receive some challenge, uh, some some teaching, on personal evangelism, just how to share your faith. And there's going to be some role play, and there's going to be some teaching. And for some of you, it might be review. For some of you, you might have a newfound faith, and you're excited about it. You want to know, how do I engage with people about that? And so that's what we're going to do. Tim Riley was here a few weeks ago. We had him preach here at the church, and you got to got to know him a little bit. It's been neat to just be friends with him and get to hear and get texts from him. Hey, we've got a new brother and sister in Christ. And he's just a guy that, that lives it. So it would be really fun to, to go do that. If you don't have a ride down there, it's down at Burnell Church. That's the other big news. It's not here. So don't show up at 630 on Wednesday here. It starts this Wednesday. It's at Burnell Church down in South San Jose where 85 and 101 meet. So if you need a ride... Please get on the city if you're not in the city already, but there's already some people who've who volunteered to, to bring their car here and load it up with people and just, just drive down there so that, so that we're all going down there together. So that's big news. Uh, the second thing that I want to let you know about is as we've been growing and um, adding services, we just added a second service in the fall, we're now fully staffed to be able to do children's ministry at both hours. So nursery through fifth grade. This is a first Sunday of the month. So that's that's worth a round of applause right there. We're super excited about that and, and pumped up that, that people have stepped up into that. And so some of you who were being mistreated by being forced to come to the 9 o'clock hour because you have children, we just wanted to lift that burden off of you. Just kidding. So now you can you can do it at both services. So as you're inviting people and all that too, though, know that, that both services are there. Brand new for January is our new memory verse cards. And these are great for parents as you're working with your kids to get God's word in you. Uh, these are spill-proof, you know, yogurt-proof, uh, orange juice-proof. So as they're on your fridge and they get sticky, rinse them off, and this high-tech plastic will uh, just come clean, and you get to keep using it. So that's for that's for your enjoyment. That's on uh, outside on as you as you come in. All right, so we're starting a brand new series uh, this morning, and I'm calling it www.church. And what we're going to do is just look at. The church, what are we supposed to be doing as a church? What is the local church all about? And most everyone you talk to, certainly everyone in this room, has had some experience with church, and they have opinions about church. If you're like me, maybe you spent some years where where you were a little bit more like this. Yippee, it's Sunday. We're going to church. That's how I spent much of my childhood. I didn't always want to come to church. I wasn't that excited. Maybe you're on the opposite end of the spectrum, and today you're like, yippee, it's Sunday. I'm going to church. And probably for most of us, we've lived... in in both of those camps, maybe we're somewhere in between those two. I had the, uh, my dad called it opportunity, um, I would have argued more for the word obligation, uh, to go to church every single Sunday that I was at his house. Because my parents were split up, I lived in this bizarre world of one Sunday morning I would watch cartoons and do whatever I wanted to at my leisure. On the opposite Sunday when I was with my dad and stepmom, uh, I would go to church. And it was my opportunity, according to my dad, it was my obligation, according to me, uh, that if I enjoyed the food being served at my house and the bed that I slept in there, we had a simple family rule. You go to church on Sunday. So I went to church every other week. And so what was interesting is that I got to kind of watch, you know, both things. And what was awesome for me is that God gave me a desire to go to church at age 17. My junior year, I remember sitting in my church very close to where we are right now and sitting there realizing for one of the very first times, man, I'm here without, if my parents were not here, if they were not Christians, they didn't bring me, I would have found a way to be here that was a total turning point for me. It was a gift from God. I wanted to be with his people. I wanted to be um, hearing from his word. I wanted to be instructed. I wanted to follow. I wanted to obey. And that happened for me at age 17. So I don't know if you're, yippee, I'm here at church, or yippee, I'm here at church. I don't know where you are this morning, but my prayer is this, that as we open the scriptures, that we would be challenged uh, with this and, and, and grow in it as we, as we look at it. Now, many people take their very first steps of obedience inside of a church building right in the baptistry. Um, Jesus calls us to be baptized, and so people have followed the Lord in baptism as an act of obedience, and they've done that inside of a church. Some of the very first steps of belief often will happen inside of a church. And the thing about this, one day, uh, if if the Lord doesn't return before then, most all of us in this room will end up in a church at our own memorial or funeral. So So... Christian life oftentimes starts in and around the church. Many of us will, will end up in a church, right, at our funeral. And just like a tombstone where, you know, for me it would be 1971 is when I was born, and then, you know, let's give me a few years here. Uh, you know, it could be this year, but let's say 2030 I die. There's a little dash on a tombstone, right? And that little dash really tells the whole story. That's my life. I mean, this was a beginning marker and that was an end marker, but the bulk of the story is that little dash. So I don't care when you started coming to church, maybe you're checking out church for 2013, that's your resolution, welcome. Maybe you've been attending for a long time, it doesn't really matter when you started, it doesn't matter really ultimately when the end point is, what we're going to talk about is what goes on in between here. As a Christian, you believe and you start going to church, so how are we supposed to live together? What is church all about anyway? Those are the kinds of things that we want to talk about and think through in this series. Now, you'll notice that I have the prefix www. What does that mean, Silicon Valley Church? What does that stand for? World Wide Web. When you see that in our logo, here's what I want you to remember is that what we're doing right here is part of a worldwide phenomenon. That there are people worshiping and exalting and sitting under the teaching of Scripture all around the world today in some contexts and some languages that are vastly different than what we're doing right now. And it's pretty powerful to think about. It's pretty powerful to think about. You can travel. Last year, some of you know, I traveled to Ethiopia, and here we were. We hadn't talked to someone who spoke English um, hardly at all, except for our guide, for, for more than a week. And, and we were there, and we bumped into some people, and they had kids. I was just longing to be around some kids, and, and uh, I was, was watching these kids play soccer in and, and perfect English. We're sitting there, a, a rainstorm kicks in, and we all go under this little like pool table, outdoor hut thing. And in perfect English, the uh, girl goes, so, where are you from? <laughs> we're like, whoa, we're, we're in this weird random spot in Ethiopia, and it turns out they're both Ethiopian, but they studied in Dallas. So you want to take an Amharic accent and mix it with Dallas. It's awesome. It's just a cool mix there. But here we were talking with them. They were church planners. So we sat here and we talked. We just had so much fun getting to talk about what we were doing and what they were doing. And, and we just began to kick around all kinds of ideas. And let me just tell you, this, this worldwide network that we're a part of, um, I mean, they got to the point in just a very short period of time, I was so excited what God was showing them. And we had told them the story about NBC and just kind of what went on here and um, and it got to this point where they said, "Well hey, I, I know that you 're coming back to come and, and, you know, and get your kids after this court stuff goes through and all of that you know who 's picking you up at the airport? I mean here they were brothers and sisters in Christ, ready in a moment 's notice to say man we 'll come pick you up we 'll come care for you and it was just so neat, and some of you have traveled other parts of the world it 's so exciting to hear. Christians, people who are following the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have so much in coming, you just, you just go, wow, we're a part of something way bigger than just what goes on in this building or in our city. So when you see WWW, I want you to remember that and think about that as we go through this. It ought to cause some humility, shouldn't it? Maybe we don't have a corner on how to do church. Maybe there's more to learn. You know, This, this thing's been going on a whole lot longer than, than, than we'll be alive, than we have been alive. And it's a it's a huge story that we then get to be a part of. The double ring of WWW, though, is this. We're going to ask some, ask some questions about the church. Who, what, where. We're going to throw in, uh, you know, why and how, but that doesn't fit into WWW. So we'll just stick with that. But we're just going to ask some questions of the church. What is the church? And more than just what is the church right now, what should it be? What should the church be? Uh, we're going to ask who. Who is the church for? Who are we as the church? How does it affect our identity? Where does this all take place? Has anyone been to the Holy Land before? Okay. Yeah? A couple. Anyone heard of the Holy Land? Raise your hand if you've heard of the Holy Land. Okay. All right. We're at least tracking here a little bit. Here's a question. Is, is it important to go to the Holy Land? I mean, that's a place, right? A lot of important things took place there. How about this location? How important is this location? Is it important that we have a location? Where should church take place? These are really important questions, and there's a lot of ideas out there. There's a lot of opinions out there, isn't there, about this? Most often when you talk to someone and they they find out you're a Christian or whatever, what do they ask you? Where do you go to church? We're just going to push on that a little bit and go, that's an interesting question in a way. You know, maybe how do you worship or who do you worship is a better question than, than where do you go to church. But we tie a lot of this into, into location. Um, here's here's one, too, that I think comes up a lot is this. We do it, meaning Neighborhood Bible Church does it differently than they do. Well, who's they? It could be the church that you grew up in Florida when you were a kid. It could be the church down the street. Or when you talk to your boss at work, they do a little things different. What's What's that difference all about? Is church just a matter of personal preference, and we all kind of do it, and there's no kind of right way? Or is there some rigid right ways to do church and wrong ways? And who gets to decide all of that? So these are the things we're going to look at and kind of press in on. Of course, Neighborhood Bible Church, we're going to submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture. We're going to look at the Scripture. I hope what happens in the next few weeks is that actually what happens is it stirs up some things so that it challenges all of us to think more biblically about our church. So, we're going to continue to meet as a church over the next year, but in these first few weeks, we want to just give pause and think about it a little bit. Look at the font for a second of, of, of what you see on the screen. Uh, I choose intentionally an, an old gothic kind of, of font. Sadly, this font is called Fading Faith. <laughs> I thought, wow, what an interesting title for a font. But I grabbed something really old and relic looking and paired it with a website address. And what I want you to recognize when you see that throughout this series is this. Our church is trying to do something that I think biblically faithful churches should be doing, and that's this. It's that we're reaching back, way back into the past. We're constantly reaching back into the past while at the same time moving forward and seeing what God is doing in the here and now and in the tomorrow. And if you don't stretch before you do this kind of a thing, it gets painful. It's a challenging thing to do that. Many weeks, if not most weeks, we tend to sing a hymn in here, at least a hymn. And part of that is just our nod to say that things that were written hundreds of years ago today have relevance to our lives. Every single week that we open the scriptures, I hope you're in Romans 8 right now, we're going to get to it in a second, we're reading ancient manuscripts. We're reaching way back. Part of that is the fact that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. And we're recognizing we have much to learn. We don't want to give preference to something just because it's new. <clears throat> we value the old. And yet, God is doing new things. This new year is exciting. Someone posted on the city, just can't wait to see what God's going to do in this new year. He's always up to something new. And so we're, we're caught doing both of those there's a capital C in here because uh, much of what we'll talk about, although we'll talk about the local church and how to flesh that out, we're also talking about the church universal. What I mean by that is the church for all of time and all of space, that there are there are members of the church, capital C church, God's family that lived a long time ago, that lived in totally different places. There are people right now who we won't ever see or meet that are a part of that same church. All right, so each week the... Uh, the, the, the three letters after that last dot are going to change. Uh, this week, we're doing www.church.com. And com, in our case for this morning, means community. Okay, So we're talking about the church as a community of people centered around Jesus on a mission from him. Now, some of what you discover about something is to figure out what it's not. And, and, and the Bible has some clearer things of how not to do church. So I'm going to give you two quick of what the church is not before we be, begin unpacking what a community, church as community looks like. Here, here's one of the things it's not. Um, it's not a con. It's not www.church.con. Okay. As in lying, as in deceiving. However, if you talk to people and you begin to see that they just bristle when you bring up the fact that you're a Christian, When you bring up the name Jesus or Bible or church and you see them just kind of take a defensive posture, here's what what I would begin to suspect in that is that, man, it seems like that person probably had a bad experience in church. By the way, as we move forward, I don't care if you're just trying out church or you've attended church for years. What I know is this. There are giant gaps between what I read in the scriptures and what I experience every week. Huge gaps. Huge gaps. There, there, are, there are times where I have the capacity to understand how the church in all of her glory can be. And then I see my experience and I go, Lord, I want to bridge that gap. I want to close that gap. doesn't mean that we have a bad church. just means that we have to humbly and, and faithfully follow Jesus and pray, God, would you change our church? We see how she can be. Would you close that gap and and bring it to us? Some people in this room, some people that you will meet this week, have had a terrible experience with church. Their pastor was a con artist. Their priest was an utter fake. The whole church was set up. It was a con, the whole thing. And they've been burned by it. And so they've just stayed away. They say, man, better to stay away from the church than to do that again. But look at the warnings and the judgments that are leveled against false prophets from Genesis to Revelation. As you're talking with someone, great evangelism, by the way, you want to share your faith with someone, care about them. One of the greatest ways you can care about someone is to look them in the eye and listen to them. So great listening might be one of the most effective evangelism tools that you have. Just really getting into someone's story. Really sitting down and taking the time to invest in them enough to just listen to them when they start saying, man, the church this, the church that, and and then you can actually agree with that and say, you know what? So much is being done right now today, and so much has been done through the history of the ages in the name of Jesus Christ that is evil and that is sinful and that God is going to punish if he hasn't already. Instead of just flat out, how dare you say anything bad about the church? All of a sudden you have common ground saying, yes, that's evil, and God hates evil. Let me give you, if you're jotting down notes, write down Romans 16. Romans 16, 17 to 18 says this, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. I won't give you the reference. I'll let you go look it up yourself. But go look at the punishments that are leveled against false prophets in the scriptures. They're devastating. Here's why they're devastating. Here's why God is so fired up at false prophets. If one of my older siblings comes to a younger sibling and says, you need to go do this, and they won't do it, and so they decide to say, well, dad said so, and then they go do it. And then dad finds out about it. Option A, is dad happy? Is dad angry? Yeah, that makes dad pretty angry. So it is with someone in a kingdom who says, by order of the king, you do this or that, and the king finds out about it. So it is with a false prophet who would say, you do this, God said for you to do this, and they're not speaking for God. You got to be wrong one time as a prophet, and then in the Old Testament, by order of death, you were wiped out, because that's demonic. That's leading people away from God. Lying, saying that you're speaking for God when you're actually not. That's a con. That's a church that isn't there. Jesus gives us some advice in Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like the rest of everyone else, but inward are ravenous wolves. What do wolves feed on? They feed on sheep. And then he says this You will recognize them by their fruits. So some of you might be making the logical connection. Well, you're a preacher. You're a pastor telling us, how do we know you're not conning us? That ought to go across your mind. Is this guy a false prophet? Is this a church speaking for God, or is it not? And here's what I would say, whether it's myself or anyone else up here teaching, if it's a community group leader or anyone who's in any position of authority teaching anything, you ought to look at their life. You ought to look at their fruits. They're not going to be perfect. I can assure you of that. And if you have something and you say, wow, Dave, what you said last week I was reading this week in the scriptures, and that doesn't seem to line up. And if I ever snap at you and say, how dare you ever question my teaching? I know what I'm talking about. We're done with this. You never get to question that. I will give you permission. I'll give you car keys to my car. Run from this place. You don't want to be at a church like that. Now, we may not see eye to eye on it. We may have disagreements and dialogue about that. But, but, But we're to be... Watching out for these things that 's why it 's so important if you quote Dave or your pastor or your favorite blogger, whoever you read or author more than the scriptures, more than Jesus, more than Peter and paul then there 's a problem there so get get it on it for yourself all right secondly it 's not a company dot com does not stand for company uh, One time I had a person I was working in a bank struggling to you know pay myself through Sounds like Christian college, and they found out I was studying to be a pastor, and their immediate response was, oh, there's some good money in that, huh? And I almost almost fell over. I was like, you know, uh, not if you're doing it right. You know, that's what I said. I just said, you know what, if you're doing it right, no, there's really not that good of money. And she was dead serious. And part of why she was dead serious is that, her her experience was that the pastor had, you know, kind of a gold-plated, you know, parking spot out front. You know, if I ever have bling on and spinners on my Cadillac, you know, come tackle me. Someone get me out of this. It's probably not the right thing. So if you're doing it right, it's not a company. Uh, I was reading with my, my daughter, Tegan, this week, and um, we were just going through the scriptures in John chapter 2, and... Um, and we came across this part in John chapter 2, and Jesus is really angry, probably as angry as the, as the Gospels record him. And I just said to her, I said, Tegan, you know Jesus pretty well. You love him. We talk about him all the time. What do you think made Jesus so angry here? And so we had a little discussion about it. Let me just read it for you, John chapter 2. In the temple, he, Jesus, found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, that is so cool, He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. The church is not a company. Jesus levels his his sharpest criticism. And you see his Anger here at this. Because people were gouging travelers who needed to have something to offer to God, to worship. They were here to worship God, and people were gouging them to use them and make money for them. So when we see Jesus getting that upset and angry about it, we take note in our minds and say, that's not how worship should be. So, not a con, not a company. Let's look at what it is. One of the things the Bible refers to the church as is a family. Now, what I understand is this. Some of you feel like you have good families, some of you have bad families. The Bible, when it uses the term family, it doesn't gloss over it like a little Hallmark card thinking like a, you know, a cutesy little picture. You just start reading in Genesis and you start seeing some pretty screwed up families very, very early on. We have, uh, people like, people like Jacob, okay? Jacob is a guy who was sold into slavery by his brothers. And that was option B. Sorry, that was Joseph. Thank you. See, some of you are like, no, come on. Don't con me. Um, (laughs) That was option B. You know what option A was? Leave him for dad, right? Let let the wolves eat him. Let let him get eaten. And then they're like, wait wait a minute. We can actually make some money off this guy. That's pretty messed up. If your siblings haven't tried to kill you or sell you into slavery, you're already a notch above them, right? You're not in an F minus, okay? Um, Some of you think, well, you don't know my spouse, though. Let's turn to Job, okay? Job is going through a trial. We see behind the scenes that God is working in that trial. You know what Job's wife offers to him in the midst of that? Hey, buddy, curse God and die. Uh, Till death do us part. Thank you, sweetie. Pass the cheese. Like, that's, that's not a great spouse right there. Your spouse probably is a notch above that. We can go on and on in the scriptures and see messed up families. Now, when God calls the church, when he refers to the church and he reveals himself in family terms, God the Father, God the Son, brothers and sisters, he's not glossing over it. Instead, what he's doing is he's taking the word family and he's redeeming it. To redeem something is to take something that was junk and to make it valuable again. So as we talk about family, as we talk about the word father, and you might need to in your mind say, God, I need a fresh picture of what a father is because my own biological father was a bit of a train wreck and has left me really scarred in that, in that word. What I want to do this morning is say, can we lift our eyes from that for a minute and see what a, what a good father should be, what a good family should look like? and see how God takes the word family and redeems it for us as a metaphor that's useful. What's amazing about God is that he is within himself the perfect model of of relational harmony, and yet he desired a family. Look at the screen for a second. This is from Ephesians chapter 1. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, and this gave him great pleasure. Now, here's something really controversial in our day and age. And it was so controversial with Jesus that it ended up getting him persecuted, hated, driven out of town, and killed. While everyone is created by God, not everyone is in God's family. While everyone's created by God, not everyone is in God's family. That sounds very exclusive, doesn't it? That sounds very violently against what the, what the high values of our culture would say are the highest values. And yet, as we read the scripture, I'm going to show you just a couple of verses this morning. As we read the scriptures, to be a biblically faithful uh, person is just to look at that and read and understand this is true. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14, says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, there's a lot in that to unpack, and we're not going to take the time to do all of it. But let me give you uh, one other place. You don't need to turn there, but you can jot this down if you'd like. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is teaching, and some people come to him, and they say this that your mother uh, and brothers are there. Um, Luke 8, 19 says this Then his mother and brothers came to see him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Jesus was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do what it says. Jesus is saying, in effect, you want to know who my real family is? My real family are those who hear God's word, believe it, and do it. That's my family. So if you're jotting down some things, jot down that one. And then jot down Acts chapter 2. This is early on in the church. Christ has already ascended and gone away and left the mission of the church intact. And here they are together. See if this doesn't sound like family and church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then verse 44 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That is a message that will be challenging for some of you. To not just have the giant picture of, we're all part of God's family. I wish that were true sometimes. I think that's an easier message to preach. But if it's not true, and I find myself standing on the side of a false prophet out of fear of men, then woe is me. That's a bad place to be. Let's keep going. So in terms of family, what we find in family is our identity. It really all starts here. Knowing who we are puts in context all the other things we do as a family. If we don't understand the who of of who we are and we just do the what, then what ends up happening is we do a lot of religious exercise that doesn't mean a whole lot. It doesn't amount to a whole lot. We go and do these different things, but we're not identified as part of the family. People could come along and do the things you do and walk near you and go shopping with you at a store, but but they wouldn't be part of your family, and so it would be somewhat meaningless. In John chapter 3, why don't you flip open, you can leave your finger in Romans if you'd like, but turn to John chapter 3, and in John chapter 3, we have a religious leader who's coming to Jesus by night by the name of Nicodemus. And Jesus offers us a very important key part of what it means to be in a family. And as Nicodemus wants to talk about who Jesus is, he wants to talk about religion, he wants to talk about life, he wants to talk about the kingdom of God, Jesus essentially says, wait, 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 before we get to all that, here's what it is, ready? You must be born again. If you're not born again, you can't even see the the, uh, kingdom of God. Nicodemus goes into a whole big spin about, man, I can't believe that's true. He says in verse uh, seven. Look at verse seven. Don't marvel at me saying you must be born again. Think about this with your physical family. The most important thing, the starting point of you being in your biological family is that you're born. Right? I mean, we take that for granted, but if you're not born, then you're not part of the family. Okay? But now that you're born, you are all born into a family. Even if you disown them, even if they disown you, even if you haven't seen each other in 20 years, you were born into a family. There's a definitive point that that happened. Jesus comes along and says, that is the starting point. That's the most fundamentally important thing that we need to talk about, first of all. Long before we get to a list of how you should live, what you should be doing, what righteousness is all about, all those kinds of things, is that you're born again. In John 3, 18, go down to verse 18. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Pause for a second. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. That's the good news. Those who believe in him aren't condemned anymore. If you have your finger in Romans 8, 1, you can flip it back open. It says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You want to memorize a verse in, in 2013? Memorize that one. Because when the accuser comes and tells you that, that a real Christian wouldn't act like that, shame on you. You combat that voice with the fact that I am found in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I don't stand condemned anymore. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now it goes on from that, verse 18 of John chapter 3, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, or some of your translations says, stands condemned, guilty, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You want to hear Peter's voice on this? He says in 1 Peter 1, 1.3, God has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul wrote much of the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3 says, you are all children of God. Now, if you're a heretic, you pause right there. And you join Oprah's staff and you just say, look, we're all children of God. doesn't matter what path you take. That's the message some of us want to preach, isn't it? If we just edit out our Bible, we have it right here in the Scriptures. But look at how it goes on. You are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Easy to talk about being all children of God and all paths. You bring up Jesus, it gets pretty divisive pretty quickly. Now, a baby is born, both flesh and spirit, into a family, and they can't possibly exist without one. Last service, we had Hudson Ash and we had Ainsley Hinton, Okay, two of our, two of our newer babies around here. Now, if, if Kirk, father of, there he is in the back. I'll pick on you, Kirk. Uh, if, if he says to his two-month-old, um, Ainsley, it's really cold outside. Get a jacket. Get yourself loaded in the car. We're going on some errands. Um, we would, most of us, look at him and say, as dads, we're doing okay. We're not that bad of a parent. Because that's bad parenting. Ainsley is two months old. If he went on to say, quit your crying, there's food in the fridge, get yourself something to eat and clean up after yourself, we would view Kirk as in need of counseling, right? We have a parenting class that's coming up. We'll find help. That's just bad parenting, right? What we understand by instinct and by experience is this. A two-month-old needs a family. A two-month-old cannot survive without a family. Now, some of you praise God who were abandoned by the very ones that should be laying down their life to care for you and nurture you, were picked up by someone else. And God has provided for you along the way different kinds of family. In our church, I've had people come and say, more than just a spiritual family, I didn't have a good biological family. This church has become family to me. Praise God for that. There's an Old Testament verse that says that God sets the lonely in families. Doesn't that change your picture of evangelism, by the way? I mean, sure, we're sharing the truth. Sure, we're sharing our hope that we have in Christ. But you are out on a mission with God to set the lonely in families. That's not an imposition. That's not rude. That's not intolerant. That's the most loving thing you could do. It's the most inclusive thing you could do. I don't know if you believe this this morning, but every one of you have some sort of family, and the families that you have are gifts. They're imperfect. They're temporal. They're broken. They're in need of restoration, (laughs) but they're gifts. It's remarkable to me sometimes to talk to people who, uh, who are doing the best they can with raising their kid, and they're just confiding in me. Man, parenting is really humbling. It's so hard to be a parent. In 20 years of youth ministry, here's what I know. Most every parent I've met is doing the best that they can in the moment with what they have. I've met very few psychopath parents who are not doing that. There's been a couple. But for the most part, they're they're doing the best they can. And as a youth pastor, God let me in on seeing the kid who was frustrated at mom and dad, the parents who might be frustrated with kid and have dialogues between the kind of wall that can sometimes be between the two. Sometimes parents who are struggling to raise their own kids need to be challenged and encouraged to say, man, don't you think it's time to turn back, look in the roof of your mirror, and give some grace to your parents? Say, mom and dad, thank you for putting up with me when I was 13 years old. Man, I was a punk to you. I was so hard to love, I bet. Thank you. Now that I see that. Man, mom and dad, thank you for being faithful. You weren't perfect, but, but thank you so much for, 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 for doing that. <clears throat> the spiritual family, much like the physical family that you are born into through faith in Jesus Christ, comes with some amazing birthday gifts. Let me just give you a couple. First is a name. Um, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, it's a title. So as a Christian, you are a, you are a, a mini Christ. You're following in the, in, the na- in, 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 the, in the essence and character. You're putting on the name of Jesus and that's a powerful thing. You're given a new name when you're born into God's family. There's also family likeness. This is true physically. Some of you wish that weren't true, don't you? You're like, man, I just wish I didn't have this characteristic from mom or from dad. Some of you say, man, I'll never say that. Then you get older and you're like, ah, I'm saying it. You know, those are the very things that mom and dad said. There's these family traits that, that are there. So it is spiritually that we get to take on the, the likeness, the most... Vivid one is the fact that life now dwells in you. The same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead now dwells in you. So when you have life emanating from you, that's not from yourself. That's a family trait that is given to you. Isn't it great that you didn't do anything to earn this? You didn't do anything to mess this up either. Just like your kids, as they're born into or adopted into or fostered into your family... They don't do something to deserve some of these things. They're just, that's part of being family, is that you get this. Here's another one is access. In Romans 8, 15, it says that we can now call him Abba, Father. Abba is just an intimate term. It's like calling him Daddy. My wife and I were talking the other day about this, that she, uh, we have one of our children we were playing around with and, and she tends to be on the shire side and she's just this bubbly, life-giving amazing person at home. And and my wife made the comment, she said, man, isn't it a rare privilege that we get to know who who this person really is? Most of the world thinks something totally different about about who this person is just because of their nature and, and their shyness. And yet we have this intimate access. What a great privilege that is to get to kind of steward that and be around that. That's a rare treasure. It's a rare gift. In the same way, we now have this access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we can come and approach him as it were face-to-face, as a, as a friend would, to talk to God Almighty, and he invites us into that. Finally, there is an inheritance, verse 16 of chapter 8 of Romans. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, God has reserved for us at least the following. There's a lot more we could get into. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 is that we will be with God Forever. That's gift enough, isn't it? That's an inheritance. In 1 John three two, that will be completely changed to be like Christ. Those shortcomings you have, those frustrating sins that you keep tripping up on, those physical ailments that bug you right now, more than bug you, they're going to be gone. Revelation 21.14, that will be free from all pain, suffering, and death. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, that will get to share In Christ's glory. I could go on and on. There's an inheritance that the second we are born into God's family is ours. As a church, let's keep spurring one another on toward that. If we're excited about the job uh, gain, great. That's great. But it's temporary. It's not our hope. Because when that job goes away and pops like a balloon, you can't even find it anymore. It's okay. That's not our hope. That's not, what we were ho- that's not what we were sacrificing our whole life for. Those of you Christian parents who've been pouring into your kids, and, you, and you, you feel like your name now is mom or dad, that's been your identity or something. Let me assure some of us in this room, been around the block too many times, some of our kids are going to be very wayward. That would be very, very, very painful for us. If they pull away from the church for a year, for two years, for a decade, If they want to disown you, tell you you did everything wrong, that's not our hope. We're not defined by if we turned out good Christian kids. Our hope is somewhere else. Our identity is somewhere else. So those are the things we need to remember. As we wrap up, let me just say this. What what, what should I be doing as a Christian in God's family? What should I personally be doing? What should we be doing collectively? I'm going to talk about a few secondary issues for, 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 for the next few minutes, but before I do, let me just say this. First and foremost, as the family of God, we have a mission statement. I don't know if your family has a mission statement, but our family does, and it is this, to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that, that God's commanded of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and resting in the fact that God's with us to the end of the age. That's our mission statement. That's of utmost importance. That's primary. That's why this compelled training about reaching out and making disciples is the most important thing in that bulletin. That's why I wanted to highlight it for us, is to keep that front and center. So as I talk about these things, these are secondary issues that I'm about to talk about. Here's where a church gets into trouble. If they get into the little cul-de-sac that the only metaphor they grab onto as a church is that we're family, you know what happens? We all turn our chair inward in a big circle. And we spend the rest of our days trying to perfect community and get the perfect potluck together and just keep working on our relationships and all that, and eventually a church just dies. God doesn't bless that. That's not honoring to God. The the family metaphor is a biblical one, but there are other ones as well. I've got a picture here. My my son and I were on the the hiking club. Well, he was on the hiking club. I just joined him uh, at John Muir. If you're going to join a hiking club, go to the John Muir hiking club, okay? I thought this better be good. Now, now, fundamental to a hiking club should be what? Hiking. Thank you. This is is not rocket science, right? It's just we we better hike. If we went over there and what we did was we had meetings about hiking, we did meditations about hiking, we reviewed hiking gear, we studied maps and trails, we watched videos of people hiking, um, I'd be a little bit upset. There would be some confrontation going on over there. The hiking club should hike. In the same way, the church makes disciples. The church honors and loves Jesus by doing that. Period. That's what we do. Now, here's where argument and discrepancy and discussion comes in. Okay, The hiking club hikes. We get that. Every hiking club should hike. Now, where the disagreement comes in is this. Do you go fast? Do you go slow? Uh, do you hike here or do you hike there? Are you allowed to shoot things on the hike? I mean, these are the kinds of questions that that come up. Uh, that, that all of a sudden there's argument and, and you know division, and let's have meetings and let's have committees and let's figure this stuff out. So it is with the church. Any biblically faithful church knows its mission already. It's to hike. It's to make disciples and love Jesus. That's it. Now, there's all kinds of discussion. And dialogue and committees and meetings and decisions about that. How are we to do that? How gung-ho are we supposed to be about that? How about those who come in our doors and are brand new baby disciples? Do we just leave them to eat and clothe themselves while we go off and make more? Do we send some with that? And so these are where the discussions and arguments should come in about how to do church. Those are the kinds of things that that we're going to focus on here in the last few minutes. No one in this room can complete God's purpose for your life alone. No one. If you're a Christian, you cannot fulfill God's purpose for your life alone. So the me and God and I'm ditching the church Lone Ranger Christian is not a biblical picture. And that's just using basic logic. I'm going to show you some things that show that you must be in community to be in God's will. Here's the first thing you should be doing. You should be staying committed and connected to the family of God, which is the local church. Do not be careless about your fellowship. It's a true sign of sickness, of spiritual sickness or relational sickness, if you aren't showing up at family functions, isn't it? Some of you have family members that don't come to the weddings. They don't come to the funerals. They don't come to the holidays. Uh, We've had a family beach trip for years and years and for different seasons of time. Someone will pull away and not be there for a couple of years. Something's wrong. There's been conflict. There's, there's, There's something between other family members. They're off doing their own thing. And then when they come back, we recognize that there's relational health when they're back at the functions. So it is with church. Those who pull away from the church, those who are, there's a spiritual sickness if you're doing that. I'm not saying that if you miss a week, we all think you're spiritually sick. But do you know what I mean? If you start to pull away and go, I I just don't like, then there's, there's something askew there. Every child of God needs a family. Here's number two. Love and build up the church. Jesus loves his bride, another metaphor for the church. In fact, he came and purchased her with his own blood, redeemed her by dying on the cross, and restored her by rising again, and loves his bride. Bill Hybels famously said that the local church is the hope of the world. There's no second option that God's going to do. So get in and start building up the local church. There's a difference between loving the church and using the church, isn't there? Some people are, are, are this way with their church. You know what? I used to go to this church, but I'm not fulfilled anymore. I used to go to this church, but it was too big. I went to this one for a while, but it was too small. I went to this one, and they preached too deep. I went to this one, they didn't preach deep enough. I went to this one, and they served porridge that was too hot. I went to this one, it's was porridge that was blazing. You know, it was super cold. I didn't like it. Right? I mean, it's the Goldilocks syndrome. of We need it kind of, you know, I was... It's like we're tropical fish where we can live, you know, within a span of degree. That's like six degrees of temperature. After that, we're floating on top. We can't hang with it. Don't be a Goldilocks church member, right? Get in and love the church. I'll tell you what's happening. You don't love the church. You're using the church. The difference between a hotel and a home is this. Those who are in a hotel (coughs) fill out... (coughs) all kinds of negative comment cards about what they liked and didn't like. They expect chocolate on their pillow, and they don't expect to work for it. Try that at home. Okay? Just try that. Try making your own little comment card. Uh, William, fill out a comment card for mom. Let's just see how that goes. okay? <laughs> you know, There'll be some life lessons learned real quick that way. If your church doesn't feel like a family, start serving. Just start serving. Get in and start loving the church and serving in the church. You're not here to be waited on like you're at a restaurant or a hotel. And as long as you view the church that way, then it will, it will probably ring hollow and not, and not feel good. Some people say, I just love God. The church has let me down. My answer to that would be this. Of course it has. It's filled with imperfect people who are in process that God's working on. The church will always let you down. Jesus will never let you down. Don't let that sway you from being involved in what Jesus is involved in. All right. Lastly is this. What you should be doing is practicing living out the one another's and start with your church. Let me give you a couple of highlights. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. John thirteen, Jesus talking. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, show so you should wash one another's feet. I've just read off one, two, three, four. You think those four would take some time and effort and prayer and humility and uh, and coming back to the word of how to live that out? They they will. I promise you. There's a ton more. Let me give you one more. Galatians six two says this. Bear one another's burdens. There's some ambiguity here in that it doesn't say whether it's a financial burden, a relational burden, a spiritual temptation burden, a broken down car burden, uh, I need someone to run to Costco for me burden doesn't say if it's a short burden that's going to, you know, kind of whipped up in a couple of sessions or a couple of weeks or a lifelong one that you'll be walking with this person for years. It just says bear one another's burdens. Man, that takes the life-giving. It takes the fruit of the Spirit to live that way. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to be doing. Let me invite the band up, and as the band comes up, I'm going to give you two... Two more things. There's some other one-anothers in the scriptures. These are the negative one-anothers. These are what we're not to be doing to one-anothers. My life is filled with, this is what a Carlson does. This is how we do this. You need to do this. And this is not what a Carlson does. We don't do this in our family. This is a no-no. Depending on what age I'm talking to, we're constantly doing that. Just teaching about what it means to be in our family. So living out the, the positive one-anothers and, for, and forbidding these other one-anothers. Here are some. Romans 1.27, don't be inflamed with lust for one another. We're to treat one another with all purity. Romans 14.13, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. James 4.11, brothers, do not slander one another. And one more negative one-another to not do is to forsake meeting together. Let us not give up meeting together. Together or with one another, as some are in the habit of doing. So, part of figuring church out is just being together. It's pretty easy to read about marriage and read about your dream spouse, and then you attach a name to it and you start dating someone. You're like, well, that doesn't look like this romance novel. What's wrong? you apply names and actual situations to things, all of a sudden it becomes real life. All of a sudden you realize, wow, I need to, I need to ask for God to walk with me in this because I can't do this. I can't honor one another more important than myself. Are you kidding me? My whole life's been about me. I want to close this week, and we'll, we'll do this most weeks, by just reading... This is one of the ways we reach back. I just want to read one of the creeds of the faith. It's called the Apostles' Creed, and it's a bit of a misnomer. The apostles didn't come up with it. Some of our church fathers came up with it a couple hundred years later. But it's, it's trying to summarize some of the apostles' teachings. So maybe just so you can capture and, and hear better, uh, if it works for you, close your eyes and let me just read this, and then uh, we'll pray and, and, um, and continue in worship. The word creed, by the way, is just a word meaning I believe. And they would recite this and sing these to remind them of what's important. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. to your word as we continue to consider what are we doing as the church? What does it mean to be your body? What does it mean to be called sons and daughters of the Most High King? pray that you'd meet us here in a powerful way in these weeks. God, would you give church leadership and church members and seekers the humility to be not only open to the possibility but, but understanding there is high probability that we need to close the gap in some areas. That means some change needs to happen. And I pray that you would give us a fresh picture of what you have been doing in and through your church and what you desire to do right here in South San Jose at our church. Jesus, we recognize you as the supreme authority in our church, God. Anyone who holds a position of leadership here, is an under shepherd to you, the voice that we follow, the one that we love, the one that laid down his life for us, the sheep. We love you. Help us and teach us to love one another.